It is a strange irony that two very defining dates in American history are only separated by one day, January 21 and January 22. Both of these events were recognized this past week. I don't know if you noticed or not. Uh, One is a national holiday, and uh, because of that holiday, there were Schools that were, were closed, the post office didn't work, banks maybe that were not open. To recognize that date. The other, I don't think uh, much of anything was closed, but it was a very somber date as many people remembered a judicial decision that affected the lives of millions of Americans. And you may be guessing already, I'm speaking about January 21, Martin Luther King's birthday, and January 22, uh, 1973, the day that the Supreme Court uh, passed legislation or passed a a firmed legislation uh, that made abortion a protected constitutional right. Now, the irony of these two dates being so close together, the 21st and the 22nd, is really what both of those days stand for. Of course, Dr. King is remembered as uh, and memorialized as a man who stood for human rights and the dignity of men and women regardless of the color of their skin uh, or their ethnicity or their race. In his famous I Have a Dream speech in 1963, he said this, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Ten years later and one day, January 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court said that rights do not extend to Americans who are still in the womb of their mother. In the last 40 years, and by the way, this past Tuesday was the 40th anniversary of that decision. In the last 40 years, uh, 53 million children have been aborted in the United States alone. In addition to that, there are every year millions upon millions of children around the world who also uh, are aborted. Uh, For example, in China, they have a one-child policy in China, uh, which leads to two things. One is tremendous number of abortions, and secondly, uh, the picking of the uh, the gender uh, with a favoritism towards boys in in China. In Russia, similarly, abortion is, is creating all kinds of problems, in fact, they, in, in Russia, abortion and the declining population that it has created is being viewed as a national security threat. Putin, I think in 2006, they began paying uh, parents $10,000 to keep their child. So you look at these kinds of numbers, 42 million children worldwide every year that are aborted. That's 123,000 in-womb children aborted every single day. How many children have been aborted since I began this message? It's a mind-boggling reality in the world around us, and yet I think that the most important number is this one. 
Every one of those children is a bearer of the image of God and is endowed by its creator with certain inalienable rights, not because the Constitution says so, but because of the image, the stamp of the glory of the one placed upon that child. And this is, I think, what Dr. King uh, uh, applicably, in this case, got right in a time uh, in our nation when it needed to get this right, and that is that the dignity of personhood is extended to everyone, regardless of your race, regardless of your age, regardless of your uh, physical uh, ability, regardless of, of, of your size, whether you are an adult, a child, or in the womb. Here's how we say it in our children's ministry, red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight. And that is a truth that is needed for all of us. And of course, the irony is that the principle that was applied rightly through the efforts of Dr. King and others to the issue of race in our country is not applied to place in our country. Outside the womb, you have rights. Inside not so much. Clearly, place matters. In fact, I think this is one of the things that made this whole Sandy Hook uh, tragedy such a tragedy was in addition to uh, the children that were killed, it was where it happened, in an elementary school, which in our culture is viewed as it ought to be one of the safest places, would be sort of the sanctity of an elementary school, which highlights the tragedy of what happened. How safe should a child be in the womb of its mother? I would say that ought to be the safest place in all the world. And yet clearly it is not. Not for 53 million Americans in the last 40 years. And so what we are doing this weekend is we are taking a break from our series in First John, our annual meetings uh, require some tweaking of our services anyway, and uh, the 40th anniversary and those two dates being so close, I would like to bring to bear for our church congregation this weekend a message that I'm entitling, Loving God's Image Everywhere, and to talk with us about a culture and a theology of life and image-bearing and what that means for us as individuals to want to love God and love his image everywhere. So to that end, uh, a biblical theology of life. It really begins with God. No big surprise there, right? It really begins with God. And all human life is sacred because it bears God's image. And I'd like to show you where the Bible teaches this. If you would turn to Genesis 1 with me. Genesis 1 we get back to the very first chapter of the very first book in God's book. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Here's what the Word of God says. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So right here in the very first chapter, God answers so many questions that relate to who we are, who he is, why we're here, what God's intent was for making us our purpose, all of this right here in the beginning. But most important to what we're talking about is this reality, that human life has a derived value. Our value is a derivative of the value of God. We, he has made us in his image. Key phrase there, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you one thing it means. It means that human life is unique and it is sacred. God created, if you read through the Genesis account, he creates everything, right? The sun, the moon, the light, darkness. He creates uh, the plant life. He creates animal life. He creates all these things. And he says all those things are good. They're all good. Very, very good. But when he comes to creating humankind, the human race, God did something for us and in us that he did not do for anything else in this entire universe. And this text tells us what it is. He made us in his image, or the verse goes on to say, in his likeness. And here we see how important it is to realize that human life has a certain sacredness to it that is not found anywhere else. And it again is this derived value that we have based upon the image who we bear. In fact, I think we can stay safely from this, tell me if you think I'm wrong after the service, uh, that there is more about God, there is more to be discovered about God or seen about God in one human being than in all the galaxies and in all the oceans and in all the stars and all the atoms and anywhere else there is there are there is who God is is more in one person than all the rest combined why is that true because there is something that is in every single one of us that you cannot find in Andromeda and you can't find under the oceans and you can't find in the molecular world, what is it? God built within us aspects of what he is like. God is spirit. And guess what he made us? He made us spiritual. God is moral. And guess what he made us? We are moral beings. God is eternal. And guess what he made us? He made us to live forever. And so we see then that when God, it's like he rolled up his sleeves. When, okay, oh, okay, Andromeda, and I create this galaxy over here, and now the, you know, the, the oceans of the world, no big deal. The continents, no big deal. The mountain ranges, got it done. But when it comes to making man, it's like God does this. He, okay, now I'm, I'm doing something really special. Everybody watching? I'm doing something really special now. He rolls up his sleeves and he says, okay, now for the masterpiece. Now, I wasn't planning on doing that, so I'm going to roll him back down. <laughs> or maybe I'll leave him up. 
just so you keep thinking about the fact that you are a masterpiece that God uniquely made. And God calls that his image, his likeness. And every human being, young or old, male or female, red, yellow, black, or white, inside the womb or out, is a moral and spiritual being like God is. With a a, a rationality, a relational capacity, a spiritual dimension, a soulishness that the dog and the cat and the polywog don't have, right? We are unique. The people that you, that you uh, see around you in this service are not just uh, people. If we could see them for how God sees each one of us, what a difference that would make. Image bearers of the one true God. And so when we talk about human life and why life is valuable and why we should even give a rip about uh, the, the, the quality of life and the, the sustaining of life, we have to realize it's not just because we say it, and it's not because the Constitution says it. What we're talking about here is way older than the U.S. Constitution. It is because of God. And when we care about God, we care about his image and all who bear it. And as a side note, I just wanted to say this, Understanding that this is what stands behind a valuing of human life also explains why when you give up on this point, or the DNA of, 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 of abortion carries with it DNA in terms of philosophy and worldview in so many other areas. Take God out of the picture, and old people are expendable. You say, well, who believes that? Go to where I'm from, Holland. They already have this in place. You take God out of the picture, and guess what? Children with birth defects, those are liabilities. Take God out of the picture, they don't matter. Take God out of the picture, and guess what happens? It devalues human life, and it elevates the apparent value of the animal world, so that humans and whales are the same. Humans and snails are the same. We're just all biology. There's no God. There's nothing unique about human life when you take God out of the picture. If there is no God, then, then there, are no, there are no gender roles. Male and female doesn't matter. There's no, there's no intent between those two. And if there's no intent between those two, then there's no divine intent in roles, in marriage, in the church, and elsewhere. It doesn't matter. And when there's no God, then guess what? Even marriage is whatever you want to make it. There's no definition if there is no God. And you see how when you take God out of the picture, all of these social categories, which the battles are being waged for right now in our country and around the world, you take God out of the picture and the no God presupposition leads to no God conclusions in all of these categories. And abortion and human life, it's, it's just, it's like the canary in the, in the, in the, what? In the mind, thank you. It's like the canary in the mind. It tells you that there's a lot of other things coming with it. 
So we have to realize, why does human life value? Why should I value and love my neighbor? Why should I see people as more than simply annoyances? Because we are all image bearers. And I can say that to every single person that is here uh, right now. You are an image bearer of God. Do you realize what that means? We have value. We have dignity because of whose image we, we bear. Are you with me? Okay. Secondly, because of that, all human life is a precious gift from God. All human life is a precious gift from God. And I add the little note here, even life in the womb. Now let me show you where the Bible talks about this, and I think we have them on the screens if you can't turn there quickly. Although you're in Genesis 1, you can just kind of flip the page to Genesis 2, verse 7. Here now is the story. God is creating uh, Adam. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Now Genesis 2 shows us that human life is not something that we have come up with. That life is a gift from God. He breathed into man the breath of life and Adam became a living soul. And with that, he gave us certain things that, again, that the, that the, the animal world doesn't have. We have self-awareness. We have consciousness. We have a moral conscious. We have all of these things that make human life unique and such a blessing, don't you think? I mean, we, we are the ones who sit around and think, is there a God? Your dog doesn't do that, does it? It says, is there food in the bowl? That's all it cares about. But we wonder about why am I here and where am I going and what's the purpose and meaning of life? It's because we're human. It's because God put that kind of awareness within us and it is a tremendous gift. It's what brings us to church on the weekends. An awareness that there is something greater than us. Indeed, there is someone greater, much, much greater. We are more than simply a collection of molecules. We are not uh, a time and chance collection of tissue. We are image bearers of the Most High God. And if there is life within us, that life is also a gift from God. And this truth, by the way, maybe you've always wondered, I wonder why murder is wrong. I know it's violent, and I know it's not being nice to somebody, but why is murder wrong? The Bible makes this very clear. It has to do with this image bearing. Genesis 9, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And here now we see why this whole matter of whether or not the life within the womb is valuable or not, why it is so important to God. Because really this is about God. This issue is about God. If there is no God, then 
the, the fetus is tissue, and guess what? We're just tissue, and that means that what we do to one another or against one another, it doesn't matter. But if there is a God, then we have dignity. And if there is a God, then that child as well within bears the image of the Almighty. And the battle over the unborn, therefore, is about God. Whether that child has that same derived value that you and I have outside the womb? I believe the answer to that is yes. Like the American flag, why does the American flag have value? Because of the glory of the nation that it symbolizes. Why, why does a painting of Queen Elizabeth have value? Because of the glory of the Queen of England. And similarly, the reason that we and any image bearer, any reflection of God have value is because of the glory of God. And the greater that we see the majesty and the glory of his and the value of him, then every little image that bears the glory of the one, the glorious one, will also be treasure. So it always comes back to God. If God's, no, if God's not a big deal, or if there is no God, then human life doesn't matter. But if there is a God, and he is the God of the Bible, and the Bible is a fair revelation of his purpose and will, then not only do you have value, my friend, so does the child in the womb. There was an article this week, in fact, that was written. I'll put it on the screen. The, the title's going to shock you. This was written by Mary Elizabeth Williams. So what if abortion ends life? Was that a gasp I heard? I hope so. Beyond the obvious nihilism of her position, basically what she is saying is this. She is acknowledging that the child is, is human and that to take the child's life is to end a life. But she says this in the article, what about the mother's life? What about the mother who has dreams and aspirations and this child would get in the way of all of those things? What about her life? And so she really sees it as a choice between the life of the mother and her dreams and her, you know, the kind of life that she would want to live and the life of the unborn, and that abortion is merely the, the choosing of the mother's life over the child. That's her argument. And I believe, and I, from what I hear, this is oftentimes at the core of why women um, and couples will abort a child. I was just talking this week with an, a man who traffics in this kind of thing often and he told me the very same thing he says you know what i hear from people he says i hear that at planned parenthood and at crisis pregnancy centers when when women come in and they're asking these kinds of questions they are the, the issue is not philosophical the issue is not theological the issue is not about image bearing and all the rest that child for that woman represents the end of their life and they want the problem fixed. So roll out your philosophy arguments, roll out your theology arguments. Those will some often fall on deaf ears. Why? Because my life is ruined because of this child.
Third point, we honor God when we love his image bearers, especially the vulnerable ones. We honor God when we love his image bearers, especially the vulnerable ones. Now, I could stop right now and we could do love your neighbor as yourself, for example, and we could build a whole thing about how we need to do this and say this was the basis of why God established this in the Old Testament law and why Jesus reinforced it with his parable of the Good Samaritan, and that would be a very good point to make. But, but we're talking about this issue of, of the sacredness of the unborn life. Why should that matter to us, and why should we be willing to be personally involved? Here's why. James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, this is a very familiar verse in, uh, in the church. It's oftentimes rolled out as a call to helping the disenfranchised, uh, like widows and orphans, and perhaps you've heard teaching on this. We've taught about this before here. Why is this verse, why does this verse matter? And why, why is God, or James here, saying what he is saying? And why does he pick widows and orphans? Why not uh, corporate CEOs and investment bankers? Why does he pick widows and orphans? And the reason for it is that everybody recognizes something about most widows and most orphans, and that is that they are vulnerable, and they have nothing to materially to offer you. And this is why James 1.27 lays out a kind of litmus test for God's people, because I can know when I'm helping an orphan, or I can know when I'm helping a widow, that I am doing it for the right reasons, because there's nothing I can get out of it. They have nothing to offer. Everything that I am giving, I am giving as an act of worship, relig pure religion as James calls it. I'm giving this essentially to God by giving it to the orphan. And God who sees in heaven can reward me for doing so, and the widow as well. I can know that I am loving them for the right reasons. Now, a child in the womb is neither a widow nor an orphan. So how do and why does this principle apply? And here now I'm going to quote uh, Pastor John Piper, who says it well. He says this, If God wants us to care about the orphan whose life is endangered because his parents are dead, he would want all the more that we care about the child whose life is endangered because his parents choose to make him dead. And that is a powerful statement. So what are we saying? We're building on principle upon principle. We honor God when we care and give compassion for the most vulnerable of the image bearers, no matter where they are or who they are, no matter what their race, no matter what their status, especially the most vulnerable. And there is, I would say, no more vulnerable human being in all the world than one who is in the womb of his mother. Jennifer and I, we've been, we're, we're pregnant. You knew that. I think most of you probably knew that. And I got to tell you, this whole discussion takes on a much different 
I mean, I, I, could have, I could have preached this any year over the last 15 years. No problem. Truth is truth. But when you look at that ultrasound and you see a hand with five fingers and you see a head and you see the shape of the body and you realize that is my child in there. So human looking. This whole thing carries on a whole different meaning. It really does. And that's why it's easy to get theoretical about the legal or the philosophical. But to realize that number one again, each one of these children, they grow one child in one womb, they have one life. And every one of them image bearers of the Most High God. And that is why we want to be a church that gets that and cares about that because we care about God and we know that God cares about this. And for us to have it firmly fixed in our worldview and our understanding of why we think that. I would like everybody to leave with a solid theology of life and image bearing. So that we can love God's image everywhere. Again, that's the title of the sermon. It's not that we love children more or less in the womb or not. We love all the children. It's not that we love one race over the other. We love every race. It's not that we love the old people more than the young or the young people more than the old. We love God's image everywhere we see it because we love the God whose image they bear. Those are the two things that go together. And we want to be a church that gets that connection. So to that end, I'd like to just offer a few suggestions as far as how we can be a church and Christians who love God's image everywhere. Here's the first, is consistency. Okay, consistency. One of the criticisms of the early pro-life movement was that, that you people just care about the kids, you don't care about the women. Now, you don't hear that, apparently, as much anymore because over the last 40 years, there has been this explosion of women's centers and crisis pregnancy centers. In fact, I read this week that there now are more crisis pregnancy centers than abortion clinics in the United States of America, which is a wonderful thing. And what are those centers doing? They are there as women's centers, as crisis pregnancy centers, for sure wanting to save the life of every child, but there to holistically minister to the needs of the women and to care for them. Our own church for years now has had classes for women who have unplanned uh, uh, pregnancies and are, are, and are dealing with that. I remember some years ago, I met with a leader in our community who was not really that interested in the meeting, and I think just did it because I set it up, and as I was, as I was sharing about our church and what we did, she was, it was like, you know, blah, 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 like this. She could really care less about, you know, whatever I was sharing. Uh, but then I mentioned our, our ministry to women dealing with unplanned pregnancies. She sat up in her chair. She goes, what? I said, yeah, we have a, 
I think at the time we had around 100 women who were coming out every Thursday night and getting training on how to deal with life and how to deal with pregnancy. And we were providing, along through the Women's Center, we were providing uh, diapers and onesies and all these different things, trying to come alongside and to be a help. And she sat forward and she says, why don't I know about this? I thought I knew everything going on in our community. And I just thought, well, you apparently don't know everything, do you? Right? Why was she so interested in that? Because the church was showing a consistency. We care for the child. We care for the mother. We care for the father. We care for God's image no matter where it is. That's the point. All God's image. We love it because we love him. We need to apply this broadly. This does include care for mothers and care for fathers. Regardless of their age, regardless of their social standing, regardless of their race or anything else, all image bearers worthy of our love. But I think it has to include another group. And I say this tonight with all the pastoral compassion that I can have. This includes women who have made the choice to abort their children. Guaranteed, right here amongst us, we have that. The statistics would say, I think it's, it's a really high number. I, I actually don't have this number off the top of my head, but it's like one in four women in America by age 40 have had an abortion. And in the church, that would be something that perhaps maybe. There is no grace for that. There is no forgiveness for that. And what I want to say to you, my dear sister, and perhaps man as well, is that there is no sin for which Jesus did not die. And there is grace in this church for every sin. Now, we are not endorsing it, affirming it, or celebrating it and we trust that you don't either but we are in the business of redeeming it and there is hope and forgiveness for all who come to the cross by faith and receive the forgiveness that Jesus alone offers there is freedom from the guilt that perhaps you have dealt with for a very long time and it's found in Christ And this is a church that believes that. Support and prayer, secondly. It probably goes without saying, I think, that to care for the unborn means that we support those who are most actively involved in that cause. And we are blessed. We've had a long-term partnership here at at Bethel with the, uh, the Women's Center of Northwest Indiana. And uh, if you're not involved with them or you're not supporting them, I would encourage you to support them. Make them a part of your yearly giving. Go to their banquets and be a part of their walks and do whatever you can do to help support them. There are other organizations as well in our community worthy of this. I would encourage you to do it. How about praying? How about adding prayer for the unborn and the cause of life? to our, our regular prayers. Wouldn't that be a good thing? I think it's, a, it's an issue worthy of that. 
53 million children's lives would argue that this is something the church should pray about. Are you with me? Okay. I would further add, there are so many unique situations where we can affirm our theology of life and image bearing. Another one that comes to my mind are parents who find out either before the birth or after the birth that they have a child with special needs. How do we handle that? What do we, what do, we do with, with that? And I would say that a church that loves God's image everywhere would be a church where those families would have extra love and support. And I am no expert in what that would need to be. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness that it needs to happen. And for us to come around and to offer time and love, I so appreciate our creed ministry here, uh, which was uh, started by Becky Witzke and has gone on now for some time where uh, we are ministering to those that have special needs and most of them adults now. I attended their Christmas party this year. What a beautiful picture of neighborly love that ministry and those involved in it is. Truly a very touching ministry. But if we love God, we love his image everywhere and in everyone. Third thing is to be ready to be personally involved. Now that's easy to say amen on, although I don't think any of you did. Maybe you're sitting here going, well, I certainly hope people are moved to be involved in this. This is a very good thing Pastor Steve's bringing up. And boy, if there's good people in this church, I'm sure somebody's going to rally and do something about this. And I certainly hope uh, that they do. And, and, um, and, and now we'll be on our way. Thank you very much. It's been a great night together. And everybody leaves here hoping that somebody will do what if everybody thinks somebody will do. Of course, the person that will do it is uh, Mr. Nobody. And if, everybody, if, if all the Mr. Everybody's hoping that Mr. Somebody will do it, it's always Mr. Nobody who shows up. I'm rather enjoying this analogy. <laughs> we need to be ready to be personally involved. And that's always the hardest step. But if I read James 1.27 right, this is the step that actually makes the difference and shows that I am really believing my theology. Now, we have a lot of suggestions in this regard. Ministries to children and families, our salt and light guide that we came out with last year has all kinds of suggestions. This week, we are going to send a practical guide in regards to this in our e-news. You look for it and check it out. What I want to do, rather, is I want to tell you a story about a family in our church that lived out this principle this last year uh, and it's a remarkable story. This is a, uh, a friend of mine, and he didn't want anybody to know who he was. So uh, this will be um, Mr. Someone. No, we'll call him this guy, okay? So there's this guy in our church, and this last summer, he is attending, there was, a, I think, a wedding in his family, and, and he was attending the little I don't know, there was a party, family gathering, something like that. And he has, a, I think, a nephew 
that is in the military, who was back, I think, for the wedding, and they're sitting on the back porch on a summer night, and they're just chit-chatting about this or that, and the nephew who's in the military happens to mention to the man in our church that a woman in his division the next morning was going to have an abortion. Well, this man says, what? He says, yeah, she's determined in the morning she's going to go and she's going to have an abortion. This guy says, did you talk to her about it? And I, I don't know if he did or not, but if he did, it didn't do any good because this woman was determined to do it. This man says, I want to talk to her. So the guy's got her, her cell number right there on the porch, calls her up, says, hey, my uncle wants to talk to you. And he gives him the phone. Now, this guy doesn't know this woman at all. Gets on the phone with her and spends, I don't know, an hour or two begging her not to have this abortion. Offers her financial support not to have this abortion. Offers personal help from his family for her not to have this abortion. Says, can I get you in touch with a, the, uh, a leader in, the, in, the, in our women's center here in Northwest Indiana? Would you talk to her? She apparently says, uh, okay, I'll talk to her. This woman gets on the phone, talks to her for an hour, talking about all the issues, talking about what it means and all the rest. Gets off the phone, calls this guy back, this now is the, the woman from the women's center, and says, Sure doesn't look good. She really seems like she's going to go in the morning and she's going to do it. This family is up much of the night praying. Praying that this woman would not take the life of this child. Maybe they got to sleep late at night. I don't know. Next morning, they get a call. And it's this woman who proceeds to tell them that she and her boyfriend called their parents to let them know that they had decided to keep the baby after all. And that woman will give birth to that child within a matter of a couple weeks. Now, what do you say about this guy and his family? What can you say other than he saved this child's life? As much as pulling her out of the pool if she's drowning or saving her from a fiery wreck or anything else, he saved this child's life. And he may never have the opportunity to tell her that, or, you know, she may never know, ever, what this man did. But the Lord knows, that's right. The Lord knows. And why did the man care? Well, if he had his theological hat on, he cared, because that child's life was valuable. And it was valuable because the child is made in the image of the infinitely valuable God. And if we love God, we love his image, no matter where it is. That child's life is precious, very precious. And so we want to be a church that cultivates a culture of life and valuing of life. Outside the womb, for sure, we played the tape of all the ministries going on. We were doing all kinds of things, ministering to people outside the womb. And this weekend, to bring to bear what we believe to be true on the issue of the value of life within the womb. 
And it's my goal that we would see that connection between God and his image. And it would help us to love his image everywhere, in our families, in our marriage, in our workplace, in the community, and in the womb. I think God can use us. We know one man in our church saved one life this year by willing to be personally involved. How many of us would have made that call? How many of us would have thought, oh boy, that's just too bad? Have they served the cake yet? And just kind of moved on. And that willingness to take that extra step makes all the difference. So let that story inspire all of us to be willing to engage personally and to live out our theology as an act of worship to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we do not see you in your full glory. We can't. But someday we will. And to see the bright and burning, resplendent glory of the Almighty God. Lord, in that moment, so many things we will realize. No doubt in it, we will realize the privilege and the sacredness of bearing your image. And God, I pray tonight for so many implications for this, for the teenager who thinks he or she is worthless, striving for attention, wanting somebody else to say that you matter, struggling with the peer pressure, cutting themselves, hoping something will say, I matter. God, I pray that your image upon them would be enough. The single, wanting somebody to love, wanting somebody to love them, seeking identity in that, God, I pray that you would drive home the value, the worth, and the glory of being an image bearer and that their identity would be in Christ. Father, I pray for the individual here who's been party to an abortion and who on a message like tonight is is very difficult. God, I pray that for that man or woman that not only would the image of God in us matter, but the image of God in Christ, who died on the cross for sins like this, and all the others, that this would bring comfort and hope and peace, and that all would find forgiveness in him. Father, we pray for the Women's Center of Northwest Indiana and other ministries like it, Father, that we would be here in Northwest Indiana a, a safe place to be a baby and that we would be a church that cares for children and the disenfranchised and the marginalized and the vulnerable. And God, I pray in all of this that we might incarnate by our actions and attitudes the theology that you are infinitely valuable, the glorious one, the one we love more than anyone else. So to this end, Lord, may you be honored, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.